0: Hello, 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 hello. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're having an incredible week this week. I know we are. We are already into December of 2021, not to date the episode, but that's when we're recording this episode right here. And it's been an absolutely incredible year. Um, Just uh, unbelievable from a lending perspective, real estate perspective, both for good and for bad. In any case, um, we've continued to provide content uh, as best we can to the relevancy of what people are asking us on a day to day basis. We get such an interesting combination of questions around lending, uh, self employed lending, getting started with buying, investing in real estate investing. And we love to hit on all these topics. But one of the things that we'd love to talk about is is the mistakes that people make and how to avoid them. Because I think typically everyone listening to this, if you're buying your first, second, or third home, or if you're a real estate agent, you're going to find a lot of value in understanding. What are the things to actually avoid so that you can help educate people in advance? And listen, it's a very complicated transaction. We're finding this more and more and more, especially in real estate and lending in Canada, it continues to get even more complicated. So our job here is to try and, try and basically simplify it as best we can. Anyways, in today's episode, we're talking about the seven things that people wish they knew before buying a home, well, the first or second home for that matter, but typically before buying a property. Um, for this episode, we talked about everything from you know your financing to the actual purchasing process, but definitely focused a lot on the lending piece, on things that people wish they knew before they actually went to go purchase a property. And so uh, let us know if you're listening to this episode, if you have any questions about any of these points that we brought up uh, and or of course any other feedback Uh, again my name is Alex McFadden I'm one of the partners and owners here at Thrive Mortgage Co today I've got Dean Lawton and Derek Williamson we're excited to have you join the ride and the one thing we'd love to ask you for is if you're enjoying the show make sure to leave us a review on iTunes it's super simple just go to your iTunes on your phone Uh, click rate and review if you're if you think we're deserving of it leave us a five star and uh, and of course let us know what you think that really helps us spread the word of course make sure to tag us up on instagram share us out there at thrive mortgage co at the yvr remo show Uh, we have a lot of great future content planned around investing more guests for the new year and uh, just so much more information and of course the last thing i'll note is that if you have a specific question you can go onto Spotify or the Anchor Anchor app, Anchor A-N-C-H-O-R, and you actually can send us a voice note. So if you want to be on the show featured, asking us a question, make sure to send us a voice note uh, so we can answer that question for you. Anyhow, folks, enjoy the show today. Uh, we'll see you on the other side and talk soon. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. All right, all right, all right. So, uh, some of the topics that we're talking about on today's episode are ones that we might have talked about in the past, but As we round the corner in 2021, we definitely want to make sure that we create some content or episodes related to not only the year, but information that can be useful for a long time for anybody uh, thinking about either getting into the market or investing or buying a property. One of the neat things that we get a chance to do is we get to talk to people in different areas of their home buying journey or investing journey. So it could be buying their first home, it could be investing in their first property, it could be buying their second or third and so we've been starting to compile lists of the most common concerns and questions that people come when they, they come over to us and let us know about their first experience. So we created a list here today of uh, the seven things that we itemize that people consistently say they wish they knew um, when they bought their first property. So when they bought their first residence and things that they had uh, maybe not known about um, when they came over to us. And I want to be clear. These are all people who uh, came to us for their second home, so we, <laughs> so we know that... Uh, the first time around, these aren't conversations that we could have had. Regardless, these are, are a, few, a list of things that we we hear that people wish they knew. So let's get right into it. Um, we've got a, a solid list of seven things. We have some episodes getting deep into them, but it's kind of nice to compile it all together and and go, go there. And I mean, I'll bang it off right away and, and we'll start talking about it. But I think a lot of people don't realize, and maybe they realize it, but they don't really think about it. Your first home does not have to be your forever home it doesn't even have to be a 10 year home for that matter. But at the end of the day, it's not your forever home. And one of the biggest things that I hear people talk about when they're upsizing or buying that second property or whatever they're doing is I wish I had worried less about this, trying to be the perfect property.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, a lot of people will sit on the fence maybe a little too long because they are looking for that perfect home with all the perfect features of checking all the boxes for them. Um, but, it really is an investment it's it's arguably one of the biggest investments of your life and just getting in getting into you know the the ability to start earning equity and and growing your wealth is is priority number one and uh I think that's one of the biggest things to just know is this is an investment
0: yeah I mean ultimately Dean to your point there it's not like we're trying to suggest to people and uh that they don't find a property that they would want to have or want to live in. But, you know, quite often, like, I'll hear things from people who are upsizing and saying, oh, man, I was, I was so worried. I waited so long, because I wanted to have that perfect little backyard. Or, you know, I really wanted to have a double sink or or like kitchen, and especially like, you know, situations where there's potential renovations can happen. That's where I hear a lot of remorse from people suggesting that, you know, ultimately, I wish I had made a couple of exceptions on, you know, these types of things. Yeah, the
2: renovation piece is huge. I mean, It's pretty rare that you're going to go out looking for a home and find the perfect property. But if you can go in with a little bit of more of a creative mindset, you can buy something that's typically going to be undervalued if it's beat up and and dig into that renovation. But I think just the last piece on this, um, it's hard, especially when it's your first home. Like there's so much excitement about getting into that property, but you have to be realistic about the type of property as well. Like a lot of people that we talk to, you know, a lot of people come and say they want a five-year fix. They're buying a one bedroom condo. It's not very realistic that someone's going to live in a one-bedroom condo for five years because who knows, right? Like you meet a partner, you, you have a kid, you get a dog, whatever. Like There's all these life situations that are most likely going to push you into a bigger property. Um, And luckily where we live, appreciation has been uh, a major, major help in being able to do that. But you really got to think about the property that you're buying and like, is it realistic that this is a forever home for you if that's your mindset?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I would say that to your point, we'll talk about these in a little bit more detail as we work through our seven items because some of them kind of go across the board, but remembering your first home isn't uh, necessarily your your forever uh, property. So think about it more from a perspective of like, what is it as an investment for you? What kinds of improvements can you make? Like you said, with the renovations, uh, where can I see the appreciation? And ultimately, if I need to you know, keep it and, re- and rent it out or upsize, what is that gonna look like for me in the future? So that would be the first uh, uh, big thing that people says they w- say they wish, says, oh my gosh, say they wish they knew when they're buying their first property. All right, let's get into number two. It's all about down payments. Now, the funny thing about this is that you know, obviously, a lot of first- time buyers go to their their banks because that's where their mom and dad went. We hear that all the time. They go directly to their bank and they get their advice there and I mean we know how that goes. Um, you know unfortunately, the knowledge base in a lot of the branches isn't accurate. Um, but there's a few key things that we hear about when it comes to down payment. so I mean Derek, why don't you talk a little bit about the down payment guidelines and then Dean and I can, can fill in some of the gaps that we hear here:
2: There's a crazy crazy bound of myths out there about down payments. And I mean, a lot of people think that you have to be a first time buyer to do 5% down, not the case, right? So like I've talked to people that have already owned a home in the past, they sold it and they're looking to get into the market again. And they're like saving, 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 trying to get to 20% not realizing that they could have bought a year ago with their 5% down, right? So 5% down is absolutely available to anybody as long as it's owner occupied in Canada. Uh, Under $500,000, if you get over $500,000, you have to put 10% on that portion. And then when you hit a million bucks, you have to do 20% down. Um, So just really understanding when and where you can use 5% down is super important. Um, The other piece that we should bring up on down payment is 20%, right? So like we have a ton of clients that are maybe at that 15% threshold and they're not quite getting the qualification that they want. Um, A conversation that we have with all clients is, you know, do you have family that could support you and maybe gift you some extra money so you can get to 20% down? And there are a ton of benefits in doing that. Number one, your qualification is going to go up dramatically, 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 because we get away from the mortgage insurer, we have a little bit more flexibility on qualification and guidelines. So you're going to get a much larger mortgage doing 20% down, you get a 30 year amortization. So your payments actually come down as well uh, and you're getting rid of that mortgage uh, insurance, CMHC mortgage insurance premium. So there's pretty dramatic savings there as well. So just knowing when and where, you know, if you can push a little bit and get an extra thirty, forty thousand $40,000 to get you to that 20% down threshold, it can dramatically change what you can achieve from financing.
1: Oh. I get this all the time and and when the client's coming back for the second time is just wanting to know scenarios like what are my options with 5% down or 20% down a lot of people to to Derek's point just go into it first time and hey they just get this one scenario because they mentioned hey we're, we're, we have 5% but getting into those different scenarios and knowing how much more you can qualify for with that 20% is so key because it now allows you to have that conversation with mom and dad about hey what are the options to actually buy something bigger is this going to be a better investment for me overall um so that bank of mom and dad this is very common these days right we see this all the time so just having those conversations and knowing your options are key is there some points that you said that are foreshadowing around
0: co-buying and gifting and things like that but like i think ultimately people like derek you kind of hit the nail on the head a not knowing and dean actually for that matter both kind of combined points like hey, like, look at both your options with the five and 20 because a lot of people say, hey, I wanna wait till I have 20% down, but the reality is they should get into the market right now. And that's a common complaint from people like, oh man, I wish I had to just put five or 10% down and just got in. Like, I wish I had done that instead of trying to save because everybody in my family told me to get 20%. Well, the reason to get to 20% really has more to do with your maximum qualification Um, Sure, there's some expenses associated with that, but based on the market that we live in, in, in Vancouver, Lower Mainland, BC, like typically the appreciation outpaces the cost of your CMHC insurance. So like know your options at bare minimum. And then additionally speaking, like don't wait to have a conversation when it comes to the down payment, just have that conversation. It's so key. 5% 5% down, owner occupied under 500 like Derek mentioned and only 10% above that and you can have these conversations to know the options.
1: Just one piece on CMHC, so w- of course when you're putting less than 20% down there is that CMHC cost, it's built into the mortgage. Yeah. I've get this question a lot. People think it's a, just a monthly payment and then when they sell that home it's it's done with, but not realizing it's actually just a lump sum fee that is actually added to the mortgage so you do pay for that full CMHC fee and that's really important to know. A lot of people just think it's just oh, I'm just paying for it monthly over 25 years for while I have this mortgage, and that's not the case. It is a full payment, <laughs> so something to keep in mind. And if and again back to options, if you can avoid that cost, it's it, it's something to consider. Yeah, yeah, I know your numbers around at the
0: five, the ten, the fifteen, the twenty, and what the impact is on each of those. So let's get into what something Derek uh, kind of foreshadowed here, uh, which is around co-buying and gifting options, how it works, who to get it from. Uh, there's a lot of implications here. And I think one of the first things is I wish I knew I could add a cosigner and still have some of my transfer tax exempt. So for example, if if you qualify for a uh, transfer tax exemption in BC, which there's some guidelines around, I won't go over all of them, but for the short version, most people want to qualify for the first time buyer under $500,000 to qualify for a hundred percent exemption, meaning you save eight grand. Um, I got a lot of people say like, I don't want to add a, a co because I want to save money on that tax. Keep in mind, there's the ability to add yourself as a 99% owner on title the property, and a 1% owner, if you're adding a co applicant, that means if you're adding someone else who's already bought a home, you'd only have to pay say 1% or 2% if there's two people for qualification, knowing that you can add up to four applicants, a lot of people are surprised when I tell them, hey, you can actually have four people on title the property, you can buy with your friends, you can buy with your family. And again, people are super surprised when I tell them that you can have four people uh, using all their income and spread the love, uh, so to speak. So that That, to me, is a big
2: uh, wish-I-knew sort of situation. Yeah, co-signing is huge. I mean, again, it can make or break an application. So, you know, digging into that and and seeing what kind of strength the co-signer can add. Um, And while we're talking about, you know, buying with other people or getting support from other people, purchasing a property with somebody else right like if you can't get into the property that you want uh, but you have maybe a friend that's in a similar position or like your parents is very common nowadays families are, are kind of combining forces to get into real estate because it's become so expensive so you know if, if your qualification is not landing you where you need or you just simply can't get into the market um, that's another huge option that a lot of people don't think about just because it seems very out there it seems like a lot of work is this something that's really gonna get a mesh but it's absolutely something that we're seeing more and more of every single year.
1: Yeah, we we talked about this on a previous episode about the hassle-free landlord program that Jared Hope runs where essentially somebody doesn't have money for a down payment, they don't have the option of gift from mom and dad, but they may know somebody that is a real estate investor or just wants to also get their feet wet investing in real estate, but maybe they can't be on the mortgage or on title because of their own financing concerns, but they have funds, they have money to give you or lend you or invest with you to purchase a home and that's something that i would definitely go back to that episode maybe we can put it in the notes what what number that was but great uh, great piece on on uh, being able to buy a home when you don't have money for a down payment oh yeah we can go on we've done full episodes
0: on that so definitely uh reference check check back on some of the episodes that we've done in the past about co-buying and co-signing and how that all works right um the other point really quickly on that is around the gifting options which we briefly touched on and where you can get the gifting which i know we're kind of alluding to right now but you know, talking to your family. Again, another thing is like, Oh, man, I wish I'd talked to my grandparents before I bought because they were gonna do an inheritance and we didn't talk about it. And then I bought a house, right. So like that 20% thing, like talk to your family, talk to your grandparents. I mean, um, I know for a fact that uh, most people that we talk to their grandparents would rather give them money while they're alive. So people could enjoy that. If they're in that position to do so, like not everybody has that option. But if they're in the position to do so, versus, you know, pass away and not even have the ability to see the joy in that it brings in in your kids and and family members or vice versa so you know having those conversations ahead of time was something that people tell us that they wish they'd done
1: yeah that's a great point early inheritance is something we're seeing a lot uh a lot more it's something i'm seeing a lot more now and um pretty much every day we're getting a client that's getting an early inheritance it's like you know you think that might be a tough conversation to have but just having the conversation about hey i'm looking to purchase this is these are my plans it's not necessarily asking for that in, in, in early inheritance, so to speak, right? Just have the conversation.
0: All right, let's get to number four. Uh, one of the bigger uh, concerns throughout the process that people uh, talk about is <laughs> documents. I wish I knew about these documents or bank statements or so forth. Derek, I know how much you love this topic. So uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit how much you love bank statements?
2: Yeah, it's not uh, it's not fun typically. It can be an absolute nightmare depending on how you handle your finances. So um best case scenario if you have your down payment in an account leave your money as is like don't transfer it around don't move it all into one account before you've spoken to us the easiest way to satisfy down payment for a bank is showing them a 90-day history of all your transactions every single thing that you buy from that account But as long as the money stayed there, it's easily reviewed and signed off. Um, Oftentimes what we'll see is, you know, someone has six different bank accounts and investment accounts and they're moving $2,000 in and out every single week. Every single one of those deposits has to be traced back. So now we're getting 90 day bank statements on seven different accounts, trying to trace deposits and it can just become very, very grueling. And it sucks because we don't want to have to have these conversations, right? but the banks are going to absolutely put a halt on this they actually won't fund your mortgage if we can't get through the down payment documentation so best piece of advice i can give anyone going into a purchase is save your money in one account or a couple of accounts if that's how you're doing it in investing but leave it there don't transfer the money all around until we've given the bank all the documentation and they've reviewed and signed off then you can do what you wish with your funds
1: this is a big one just documents in general i get this all the time I wish I knew how many documents I needed to put together. It was a mountain of documents and it was stressful and it is stressful. And it's one of the reasons why we ask for all these documents up front where a lot of people will walk into the bank and they get very little Document requests, and they think, "Wow, this is going to be so easy." They just ask me for my pay stub, and and there you go, I'm my T four, and I'm 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 pre-approved. And then they get to the live offer, so now they got an accept offer, and they're at you know we have five days to gather a pile of documents, and it's very stressful. And knowing that ahead of time is 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 so key. Being able to prepare for all those documents is so important, and it's why we do our due diligence as a team up front. So. Again, it is, it's is—it's not fun. <laughs> it is not fun getting these documents, but be prepared and we'll help you get there. And that's thats such a big piece. Yeah, you know, we get those questions
0: on a, on a daily. Hey, do I actually need to show you 90 days of history? Do I actually need to give you my employment letter, my pay stub, these types of things? Well, in reality, sure, like you don't have to show it to us. But if you want accurate answers, we can only give you what you give us. And I mean, I'm going to end off talking about what I started off with Derek, I think a lot of times we're getting the bank statements to help you understand the practice of what you're going to do. And most people thank us in the end, they're like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if I don't buy in three months, well, I need to provide these 90 days again, you're like, yes, okay, well, I know what to do now. I know the experience. I know what I should expect. It doesn't mean they're not going to have to still provide the statements and all the fun that moves around. But it just makes a little bit of a better experience. So keep that in mind when you're throwing your money in this account to that account to this account to that account. That uh you're basically gonna have to set up a diagram.
2: And get a handle on your online banking because some people don't use online banking and they're trying to do it from their phone. They're not really familiar with how to filter out the certain days, they're going into the branch and waiting like in a fifteen person lineup just to get these bank statements for us. So get familiar with your online banking system and make sure you can filter those out, pull them off as a nice clean PDF with your name on it and you're good. It's a virtual word, world it's a virtual world all right let's talk about number five which is where do you get your advice
0: oh man like this is basically every single client we talk to who's buying their second home with us who bought their first home and they got their advice from like their grandpa or their dad or their banker and listen i uh, i'm not gonna say anything bad about people's parents like there's nothing wrong with people's parents but i think like the reality at the end of the day is are the people that you're taking advice from the people that are a practicing it the b, uh, b that are licensed and are providing advice and C, are not incentivized to sell you a variety of commission-based products, right? Which is kind of key. Like, listen, as a mortgage broker, we get paid to help people arrange a mortgage and financing. That's it. Like, we It doesn't matter which product or term or rates or anything of that nature, as long as we're consistently helping you long-term and putting you in a good position. But that doesn't apply across the board. Uh, and there's nothing bad to be said about people in the branches or banks or anything of that nature. But again, keep in mind, they're incentivized to sell you now an RSP or a TSA, or whatever the bank manager pushes that month, right? At the end of the day, they have to hit certain guidelines. Your parents, like they probably, you know, maybe they have some experience, but they might not have bought for five years, 10 years, 15 years, five years in the real estate world is like light years, like that's a long ways away, 10 years, even longer. And most of the clients we talk to their parents haven't done a real estate transaction for 15 plus years. And while they maybe did a whole bunch of them between the 80s to 90s, Uh, The world has changed dramatically and so do lending products and guidelines, no different than a a vehicle for that matter, right? So certainly get advice from the people that you trust, um, but make sure that the technical, technical advice is coming from people who know what they're doing and talking about, which is key.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important. Like five years, you're right. It is light years. And, you know, the advice that you get even from a professional a year ago is going to be different today. Because of changes, right? So it's not just who to talk to, but it's just just keeping top of mind that time is a big deal in real estate. And a perfect example, June of of this year, we had a major change to how much you can qualify for with the stress test. And so you know, you get people that were waiting, and now now they qualify for less. And so those are things like if if you knew that time is so important, uh, you would probably act quicker on some of these items. All right. So that was, uh, that was number five, where you get your advice, make sure you
0: do the do the due diligence. Number six, location, property location. So we talked about the physical property before. Um, I know we're not talking about lending at this point right now. But again, just because it comes up so often, like I'm going to talk about it right now. What is the one thing you can't change? Where you buy your house. That's it. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't move to the valley if you live in the Vancouver area, or like if you live in, the Okanagan that you shouldn't look outside of the downtown core or if you live on the island that you shouldn't stick to a particular city. That doesn't mean that. What that means is like maybe the neighborhood that you're looking in or maybe the features that are around that or what's going on in the area. Like be very specific in those factors at least to a degree. I always talk to people like you can have price, you can have location or you can have the property and at the end of the day there's going to be something that has to give You can't move the location of the home, so you'll have to sacrifice on some other things. And or, if you are going to do that location-based hunt, uh, just make sure that you know what's in and around the area. Right? Know know the different types of uh, considerations. Um, Sky trains coming, buses coming.
1: uh, You know, are they building buildings in the area? Anyhow, all these different types of things. Yeah, I mean that's so important. I've seen so many clients buy a beautiful townhouse with a great forest view right behind their their yard. And one year later, there's now another townhouse directly behind their their yard, like talking five feet away. And now that forest, beautiful forest, quiet backyard is no longer there. Um, so to your point, like have a look, like have a look at the community plan, talk to people at the, at the township. Again, back to who you're getting your advice from, you know, a good real estate agent will direct you here, will help you understand what is coming in that area. And that that is so important. There's nothing worse than thinking you have something and now, now you don't. Yeah, true.
2: And I think the last piece is like, it's super easy to put your blinders on when you go see a house, because you've been looking at the pictures, like you pull on that driveway, you're just focused on the house, right? Maybe it's beautiful and gorgeous. But do you look at the house on the left and right to that property, right? Like they could be complete dumps with 15 people living in the house, cars on the lawn, you name it. So you really need to open up your your eyes. and, And just like the street itself, right? Like neighborhood, um you know theft all that kind of stuff you should really be digging into that with your real estate agent but the street itself like you really need to look at what type of properties are on there what type of people are living in the properties that surround um yeah so again just don't put your blinders on when you're looking at the house one thing
1: i've seen a lot and and it's this is a common plan and we we really support this plan where you buy your first house and the goal is to turn that first house into a rental and then buy your next home with a minimum down payment we've talked about this at length and big big mistake. You buy your first home in a rental restricted building. So now you can't rent that property out. you have to sell that property when you're ready to move on. That happens a lot. And, and you know what? Sometimes you can't control that. Sometimes strata, it's rare, but sometimes a strata will come in and and now agree to have a rental restriction. So sometimes that is out of your control. But yeah. you gotta you gotta at least look and, and make sure you're not going into that ahead of time and, and check those things. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head with that. Like obviously buying into a strata, there
0: are some, I mean, get on the strata council, right? Like if you are buying a strata based property, I know, I know we're going into a different direction here, but like a lot of our clients, you know, two years, three years in, we tell them about being able to keep their property and, and upsizing and, and keeping that as a rental property. And like, shit, I wish I had thought about the rental piece in advance. Excuse my language there, but <laughs> I think we can say that in this podcast um yeah like i wish i had knew if it was rentals or at least restricted rentals at least i knew i could do some right what did that look like the future plans that you mentioned are they going to demolish the building blah 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 so yeah do the due diligence uh if you're working with a good real estate agent like honestly the guys that we typically work with they'll they'll help you find out all this stuff like just make sure to ask the question uh, and a lot of them will actually just bring it up for you before while you're looking right uh okay number seven um yeah this is basically, pretty much everybody we talked to who uh, worked with the bank before coming over to us and, uh, and and decided to work with us. Uh, We've talked about this a lot in the past. So I won't hammer it. But I mean, pre approvals, like what is it actually? Um, You know, let's be honest, like a lot of people we talk to when they're buying their second home, we find that they really are very thankful about their experience with us not that the first time buyers or the third time buyers aren't. But I think it's quite frequently because, again, a lot of these people work with a bank the first time around and they didn't have a super positive experience. They didn't actually know what a true pre-approval was. And that's just because typically your bank will just take like a pay stub, T4, punch it in the system and give your numbers right away. It doesn't, didn't get fully analyzed. So a lot of those individuals actually had issues that came up or concerns or last minute items, like quite a few of them. And so knowing what a real approval actually is and
1: what it isn't on both sides is, is key hundred percent. And just most important piece, this is you and your personal financial picture that is pre-approved, not the property. At this point in time, when you're pre-approved, th- the property doesn't exist. We do not know what you're going to purchase and neither do you and a bank can decline your file because they don't like the property. You've got to keep in mind that the the security for the loan is the property as much as it's your you know worthiness to repay that loan and the income verification that they go through the property is the is the asset for the security and it's so important that you realize you are, just because you're pre-approved doesn't
2: mean this is a you know a, a subject free type of situation which we've t- we've talked about yeah i mean i always tell clients that the worst thing that can happen in this process is we think we've pre-approved them but we've missed something or the banks missed something and they go spend evenings and weekends for months looking for homes writing offers they finally get one just to fight, figure out that the financing doesn't work out like that's terrible for the clients it's terrible for the real estate agent it's terrible for the person working on the finance it is not a good experience and that's why we go so in depth and do such a heavy um, analyze these pre-approvals before we actually issue them um, but in this market right now like we're in a subject-free market right if you're writing subject free offers with a deposit in hand thinking you're pre-approved and you are not because that institution or that mortgage broker didn't pull credit or they didn't look at your two-year average all these different situations that can arise i mean there's a ton of risk there right so uh, in a market like this you need to have a proper pre-approval and every single document needs to be submitted to your broker or banker agreed agreed all right and uh, like last
0: one is a bonus one so we got eight but you know that being said uh, a bonus one here would be to think about your first home as investment again we've talked about it throughout the entire process but so many people they think about their first home as either their forever home or as, as and it is definitely a home it is a place to live it is a place to have a family and so forth but at the same time as a Canadian this is quite literally often our best and number one investment so uh, last and biggest regret slash mistake or thing that people wish they knew was to think of this as an investment, whether it's making improvements, looking at the location, looking at the rental capabilities, considering keeping it for all of those
1: reasons. It's more of a mindset piece. And that's what I hear a lot of. I'm going to go off the board. It's something we should have talked about, but knowing the product we've seen people get stuck in big penalty situations or mortgages that can't be moved, meaning you can't refinance and go to another lender. So we need to come back around and do a real deep dive on knowing the product. I think we've talked about this in the past, but that can just devastate you. So, and that's what we're here for. And again, who you're getting your advice from. So uh, I just had
2: to throw that out there. I
1: agree. Derek, anything else to add on the uh, investment piece?
2: No, I mean, yeah, like the stat says, I think 95 or 97% of Canadians' wealth is in real estate, right? Pretty amazing when you think about that stat.
0: Circle that stat, throw it on the board. That's what you need to think about all day long. So think of it as an investment. And if the person that you're working with to get your financing and real estate advice doesn't understand real estate and investment, move on.